It's time for Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM. Welcome to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses, and thank you for listening to Moment of Truth on Element FM, both in Ottawa and Toronto, 106.5 in Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa. And of course, you can now listen on the iHeartRadio app if you download the app and take us with you anywhere you go. Now, you might also be listening on one of the other radio stations that now carry Moment of Truth. We welcome you, as well as any listeners on their favorite podcast platform. It is also a pleasure to welcome to the show today with me is Kristen Mullen, and she is with EarthDay.ca, and we're here to talk about Earth Day. And, of course, I'm sure that, that things have changed over the last year with Earth Day. I'm sure that there are many things that uh, we can talk about. We wanted to find out what people are doing activity-wise. You know, we have lockdowns, and that may that may impede some things, but there must be stuff that we can do, and I'm sure that Kristen can tell us about those things and also tell us about other things that are going on, not only maybe across uh, the country, but around the world. And uh, Kristen is known for her infectious enthusiasm and love of nature, and she seeks ways to reduce her impact on the planet every day while growing her own produce and tending to a flock of backyard chickens. She is lucky to live in the rural Ontario area. Mm. Area where she has access to lakes, rivers, and trails in which to hike, bike, and kayak. Well, you had to say that, didn't you? Now I'm really jealous, Kristen, of all that stuff that you're able to do. Welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm really excited to be here and talk about all the things that are happening with Earth Day Canada this year. Well, you know, even if people don't live in a rural area, of course, they can always potentially, um, potentially, I say now, because of the way things are going with uh, the, the COVID situation, could get out and travel to these places under normal circumstances and, and do some, uh, some uh, biking or hiking or kayaking, correct? Absolutely. We're, we're really um, sending out the message that people should check with public health wherever they are to ensure what they're doing is safe um, and respect social distancing. But a lot of those things are still happening. Parks are open. Um, you can get outside, get off your tablets and your, your phones and make sure you're connecting with nature. A good idea, a very good idea, and I'm sure many people feel that way, considering that the weather is starting to warm up a little bit, and we've been locked in for so long, we're probably dying to get out there in many ways. And I'm just wondering, if you don't mind, Kristen, can you tell us a little bit more about the organization that you work for itself, how long it's been around? Absolutely. So I work for Earth Day Canada. It's a registered charitable organization. So we help individuals and organizations reduce their impact on the environment environment by taking concrete actions both on Earth Day and every day. So the everyday part of it is the most important. Um, so since 2019, the organization Tour Le Jour is, was initially active in Quebec and in mostly the French-speaking community. Mm. But we've become Earth Day Canada and Jour de la Terre in order to deploy our environmental programs across the nation nice um this year we have a campaign planned sorry <laughs> um in our the theme of our campaign is let's take care of our planet um so we launched that on april 7th 
and it will be running until April 22nd. And basically we have a media campaign where we show images of animals uh, cleaning up garbage after humans. And the tagline is, is ironic. It says, luckily we have the animals here to clean up after us. Mm -hmm. Um, So we we really wanted to make sure that people, uh, we had some, that shock factor because it's difficult to remain indifferent with those types of images. And we thought that that would stimulate awareness and the urgency of kind of the ecological crisis and that people need to act. Yeah, absolutely. And and I love that. And, you know, I saw something similar to that online a, uh, a couple of days ago. I saw this black bear walking down this road and there was a pylon that was tumbled over and the bear walked by and picked it up and stood it up and then carried on his way. <laughs> and and I think the caption was something <laughs> like, uh, leave things as you find them. And, you know, I, I thought it was very, very clever as well. Yeah, what great messaging. And if they can do it, we can do it, right? Yeah, yeah, no kidding. Well, hopefully we should be able to. You're absolutely right. So the theme is take care of the planet for this year. Absolutely. Um, We also have the hashtag, let's take care of the planet. So if anyone out there wants to post on uh, Instagram or Facebook with the let's take care of the planet hashtag, um, you can be searched with with everyone else who's doing things for Earth Day across Canada. What are you hearing now that we're into? I'm sure that there are many people and, and you know, I'm, I'm guessing kids especially uh, are, are thinking they would love to be able to do things. But we're in this COVID situation. What kind of things have been have you been hearing about m- maybe over the last year about the struggles and, of course, some of the some of the clever ways that people are going around and getting around this COVID situation? Well, actually, we've we've been able to reach more people um, at Earth Day Canada, I believe, because we've changed all of our strategy to virtual and so many more people are online and are, are have access to Internet now. So it's easier to get our messaging out, I believe. Um, we've we've shifted gears and pivoted all of our in-person events to virtual. Um, even on the, on the 22nd of April this year coming up, um, we will have a virtual event in the morning where we pan around to different municipalities across Canada that have pledged to do tree planting projects over the next year. Um, we're hosting virtual workshops throughout the day on food waste and how to reduce your food waste. And then we also have um, video montage in the evening of, of different events and activities that are happening across Canada um, for for Earth Day. Um, we've, we're par- partnering with different organizations that also have other events going on. There's a concert in the evening called Heal the Earth uh, with Canadian actor Tom Jackson and uh, live music from 7 to 8 p.m. Um, we have, uh, we're working with Eco Schools, one of our partners, and they have a, a, a conference that day, but they are allowing the public to, to go and visit um, their keynote address for free. Um, There's drum circles happening. There's garbage pickups happening. Forester's Insurance Group is hosting community cleanups across Canada. Um, So so we're definitely supporting them in that. Uh, There's still lots happening. And I guess it really depends on what area you're you're living in and what the restrictions are at that point. Mm. Um, But there's still a lot you can do online. And there's even virtual tours of forests and parks if if you really aren't able to get outside and you really want that connection to nature. So we're finding a lot of really creative strategies and ways to to get around um, what's happening with the pandemic. Right. Now, mentioning the pandemic and you you had mentioned that you feel that your messaging is actually getting out stronger because of the situation you find yourself in and everything going online and being virtual, which which is is great. Do you think that that is working uh, the other way as well, that you are hearing more from people? Um, I I think we are. Um, 
a lot of people, I, I guess, are, are seeing more of our messaging. So they're, they're responding to us and they're, they're asking what they can do. Um, we are getting lots of messages, especially about our municipal tree planting program. Mm. Um, even non-municipalities, just residents want to know how they can get involved or how they can get their municipality involved. Um, we just launched an Eco Hack a City program, which is a tour across Canada where we're working virtually right now um, with communities and we are helping them solve environmental problems at the local level. Um, so tailoring really local solutions for, for issues that they're having. Um, the first one's in Moncton on, on April 29th, so very close. Um, we have all kinds of different webinars and workshops uh, and we work with different businesses to reduce their carbon footprint. So there's lots of ways that, that you can engage with Earth Day Canada. And, and we're always willing to tailor a new program or a new idea and partner with organizations. We just really want to help people reduce their, their, their carbon footprint. Right. And of course, if you go to your website, you can see some of those things that you are talking about. People click on and, and find out more about all of these things at uh, earthday.ca. Um, and you also list a, a bunch of things. You know, you list schools and businesses and institutions. How are schools interacting with you? Um, so a lot of times we work with our partner Eco Schools uh, to address some of the youth issues. But we work with communities and obviously schools and children are within those communities. Um, we provide workshops. We can provide an education. But most of the time it, it is in partnership with, with Eco Schools and someone who is really dedicated and knowledgeable about youth and, and education of youth. Okay. Now, um, some of the other things that I see listed here, um, Earth Day t-shirt program, what's that all about? Yes. Um, so we are selling Earth Day t-shirts and for every t-shirt sold, we will plant a tree somewhere in Canada. Um, and the t-shirts are beautiful this year. They are in French. So every year we, we go back and forth, English, French, mm. English, French, um, because we are a bilingual organization in a bilingual country. Um, but they're really fantastic this year. They have a picture of an ostrich with its head in the sand, basically <laughs> saying, like, if I can't see it, it's not happening. <laughs> That's great. That's great. And I'm just clicking through the website right now and looking through some of the things that, uh, that I see going on. Almost Earth Day Art Jam. Yeah, so we have a calendar of events. So anybody across Canada who is hosting an Earth Day event um, has the ability to add their event to our events calendar. Um, so there's lots of things happening. There's recycled art exhibitions. There's cleanups. There's workshops, conferences, um, all kinds of stuff. So you can head to our events calendar and see what's local and what's near you and, and what you can participate in. Mm, very cool. Um, now, you had mentioned the, the concert. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Sure. Yeah. So starting at 7 p.m. on April 22nd, there is a concert called Heal the Earth. Um, I believe the website is healtheearth.ca. And you can go on there. You can get a ticket by donation to Earth Day Canada. Um, so they, I think it's a music entertainment group has graciously offered all of the proceeds of the event to us. Um, and they're hosting a really great lineup of bands. They have Tom Jackson as the narrator of, of the event. And he is acting as the character called the bear. And he will take you through an environmental journey um, as you go through, I think it's 10 to 12 different bands. And there'll be cameos from different celebrities as well throughout the night. Hmm. That sounds it should be great. exciting. It should be. And, and it, you know, what a great host you've got in, in Tom Jackson. Wow, that's great. 
Yeah, absolutely. Now, the other thing you mentioned is, of course, that you you work with organizations, you work with municipalities, not only for Earth Day, which is the one focal point, but you mentioned working all year round. So what what does your organization and how does your organization interact throughout the year with with municipalities, with organizations? Uh, what, what Can you give us an example of some, some of the things you guys do? Absolutely. So um, for, we have a tree planting relay uh, th- throughout the year. We have different municipalities pledge on the 22nd of every month, symbolic of mm. Earth Day, of course, um, that they will plant 50, at least 50 trees. So every month of the year, we have a couple of municipalities say, this is our month. We're passing. the we, We've uh, caught the baton and then the next month they pass it to the next communities that, that are pledging to plant 50 trees in their communities. Um, we also have some large partners. Uh, our lead partner TD uh, Ready Commitment is sponsoring the Eco Hack a, a City series that I was talking about earlier where we go to cities and we help them help them delve into environmental issues that they're having locally and we help them come up with innovative uh, solutions to those using design thinking. Um, we have another partner, Budweiser, who's about to launch something very exciting in the next couple of weeks. And I don't want to give it away. No okay. spoilers here. <laughs> um, and, and if you go on our website, you can see all the different partners that we're working with. We're working with Sobase. Um, they have, we're, we're creating an electric network of chargers across Quebec and New Brunswick. Um, so many exciting things happening right now. I don't want to forget any of them. Yeah. But that's just a taste of what we're doing. Well, it is a busy time of year for you, for sure. What would you say you have seen or heard in terms of concerns or, or, or successes over that time in terms of looking at the earth? So actually, I've only worked for Earth Day Canada since February of 2021, but I've been involved in the uh, <laughs> environmental sector for quite a long time. Okay. Um, I think that climate change is really becoming there's much more awareness around it. There are cities announcing climate emergencies. I think it's really coming to the forefront um, and we're realizing we really need to act quickly. So it's, it's nice to see that. Um, it's, it's unfortunate that we're so late uh, to the game, but it's exciting all the advances and, and all the new exciting things that are happening in technology um, in tree planting. Uh, people are really, really getting involved and, it's really exciting to see all the changes in people's lives, even in products and in packaging. Hmm. Um, it's it's inspiring. Are you familiar with the World Economic Forum? Yes. Yeah, and when I, you know, they send out these fabulous things about all these wonderful things that are going on around the planet that you wouldn't, you know, you would never know they they were happening unless uh, someone, you know, bring these these things forward. There's some fabulous things that are going on to help uh, change the planet. You mentioned, you know, the awareness of the, of the planet and the earth, and of course, you know, prior to COVID nineteen, the youth were making a huge huge step forward with uh, Greta Thunberg and, and all the efforts that she and other youth were doing around the planet to bring it to our attention. Did you find an impact from those kind of things that were happening? Absolutely. They are the ones that are bringing this this to the forefront and, and making sure that people are hearing their message and, and listening. 
I think that um, one of the biggest problems is when we're facing challenges like climate change, people just don't know what to do because it's such a huge problem and they don't know how individually they can make a difference or or how they can make changes that will actually make an impact. Um, So one of the things that Earth Day Canada does is really tries to break that down. We have a page called, I think it's Earth Day Every Day, Hmm. um, and it gives you really specific things that you can do uh, just in your day-to-day lives that will really, that can make changes and, and can make a difference. Um, there's ways, different ways to eat, different ways to to move, like mobility. Mm. Um, even our digital footprint uh, is, sorry, our, our, our digital carbon footprint is huge. So I don't know if you know this, but if you are Googling something, every Google search is 20 grams of carbon that's being released into the atmosphere. And that's due to all the energy that's being used to power servers in our technologies and all of our devices. Um, so, so that's one of the invisible, I guess, giants of, of CO2 emissions. Um, and, and it's supposed to surpass even vehicle emissions by 2025. Um, so really understanding how our decisions and how what we do every day contributes to our environment is really important. Well, that was very fascinating what you just said about Google searches and and the carbon put for, footprint that it creates. Where do where do people find out that kind of information? Yeah, so we have um, blogs on our website. Uh, there's definitely one about your digital carbon footprint. Um, even if you just uh, do some searching yourself, you can find out, you can find carbon calculators that will free on the internet that will show you what your footprint is. So usually building envelopes and, and transportation are the highest um, GHG emitters, but because we're all on the internet so much and there's being so much energy being poured into, like I said, servers and devices and even um creation of all those devices uh, it's really surpassing vehicle emissions quite quickly and here i thought by going online we were actually doing some good for the uh, planet and speaking of good for the planet we all heard about the the many things that that happened when the planet shut down a year ago uh, just over a year ago because of covid19 and uh, then a few months later we started to see the the benefits i guess for the planet because we started to see the stories that came out around uh, cleaner rivers uh, remember i think in in, uh, in in italy we started to hear about the, the venice and and the the, the rivers that were cleaning up people could actually see the bottom of them and see fish in them for the first time and i don't know how long we heard about the skies clearing up and all of those other benefits that uh, that it did bring to the planet and allowed it to breathe a bit easier i guess yeah absolutely there's been a lot of a lot of good things have have arisen even with, with all of, with all of the bad um but we still have to do better. There's still garbage from all of the non-reusable items that we've been using because of the pandemic. Um, there's there's a lot of work to do to, mm-hmm. to make sure that we are leaving things, as you said earlier, the way that, that they were when we got here. Yeah. And, you know, when you brought up that whole thing about the Google searches and, and our carbon footprint in terms of being online, uh, I do know that, and I'm not sure if this ties in or if you're familiar with this, I do remember seeing some of the providers providers that you could go and get your internet service from saying that they were green, they were green energy that, you know, by using them and they might cost a little bit more, but they would be, they would be clean energy that would be used to, 
to power the sources that you would be using? Yeah, there's some sites that are, are, are I guess, they're bullfrog powered yep. or they're purchasing carbon offsets. So planting trees somewhere or a, or working on renewable projects. Um, there's even a search engine that actually plants trees. Uh, I don't know the specifics, but they plant trees for every search. Um, so there, there are ways that you can be greener in, in your actions on the internet as well. If you just um, optimize your power settings, if you clean out your inbox so that there's less storage needed, if you unsubscribe from newsletters that are mm. that you really aren't engaged with, right. there, there's lots of ways you can reduce your your far, your footprint online. Right, and and I want to go back to the the animals that you said you're using in some of your your uh, promotional purposes for this year. Uh, take care of the planet. Um, I'm staring at one right now with a seagull picking up a a cup that's on your site. Where can, can people go to view these somewhere on, on your site? Yes, absolutely. They are on our website. Um, we do have if you go to our campaign. So go to the Earth Day April 22nd section. Mm-hmm. But also they're all over our social media. Yeah, so on Facebook, um, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn. Uh, so you can either look for Earth Day Canada or Jour de la Terre in the French version. And and that's what you would look for on those social media platforms? Yes. So um, we, we have both French and English uh, on all those platforms. So it's either Earth Day Canada or Jour de la Terre. Right. Now, the other thing you mentioned off the top of the show is that uh, it's a non not for profit organization. Absolutely. Yes. And so I'm guessing that people can then make donations if they would like. Yeah, they can make a, a general donation or they can uh, donate to some, one of our programs like our, our um, municipal tree planting program or our tomorrow's forest program. Um, there's options depending on which aspect of environmentalism or sustainability that, that you prefer. Hmm. What other things that uh, outside of uh, Earth Day itself that you're familiar with that you think people don't know about your organization that you think is important that they or might find interesting? Um, we have a lot of different programs and we are engaging with a lot of different people. Um, one of the things that we are working on is a project called Transition Wow. Uh, and I'm not sure many people know about this. So we are taking uh, combustion engine vehicles and we're retrofitting them with electric engines, which I think we are the only, if not one of the only um, organizations within Canada that's doing that. So a really cool project. If you go on our website and, and pick Transition Wow, you can see more information about that. That sounds really interesting. Transition Wow. Oh, that sounds really interesting. And it sounds like quite the endeavor as well to to sort of retrofit with a with an electric engine. Fascinating stuff. How long has that been going on? That's been going on for a couple of years. Um, I think that we're we're hoping to to ramp that up quite a bit more, but um, it's in early phases still. Yep. And uh, I can hopefully come back on and tell you more about it next year. <laughs> <laughs> that would be great. Now, I'm just looking at the website, as I mentioned. So if you go under every day, if you go under every day and look underneath the programs, there it is underneath that list of transition. Wow. You certainly do have uh, quite a number of, of programs that are going on there. Great to see. Yeah, I should mention, we actually have a big event coming up um, in Toronto, mm-hmm. we are doing a virtual Earth Day everyday fundraiser, and it's basically a night of comedy and 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 drinks <laughs> and cocktails. <laughs> um, so if you sign up to our Earth Day everyday event beginning of June, um, you can order put your order in, you get a kit sent to your house 
And then we will have a bartender come up. They'll show you how to mix some drinks. <laughs> and you sit down, you watch the first set of comedy, then you'll mix some more drinks and, and watch another set. Um, it's going to be a really, really fun event. Um, and uh, right now, until I believe May 15th is the early bird pricing. So check it out. <laughs> okay, that sounds great. Now, that's one event uh, that's, that's coming up. Do you have similar things of that nature or other things that uh, other people maybe in the Ottawa area uh, or in Montreal, uh, somewhere else that, that might be going on that people might be interested in checking out? We do. So in the Montreal area, there's the Banque Urbain, which is very similar to the Earth Day Everyday event. Um, all of the details haven't been fleshed out, so I don't know if they've been released yet, so I don't want to spoil it. And usually it's kind of a surprise event every year. It's, it's, it's been going on for quite a long time. Mm. So that one is coming up quite soon, and I believe tickets are already available. Okay, that sounds pretty cool. Anything else just before we go that you want to mention, perhaps around Earth Day? You've mentioned the messaging. You've mentioned uh, some of the things that people can do to get involved. Any any tips for people in terms of what they might be able to do if they're concerned about trying to make an impact on their own? Yeah, just make sure when um, to think about the three R's. So reduce, reuse, recycle. The most important, of course, is reduce. So when you're buying anything, look at packaging, look at where it's coming from. Really be conscious of all the purchases, purchasing decisions that you are making, especially when we're all ordering online these days because um, it, it's not we're not able to go to the stores. Mm, yeah. Now, the other thing you mentioned, of course, is, is that your message is getting out there more because, because it's all gone virtual. And speaking of virtual, uh, the world seems to have gotten a lot smaller. And, and I bring that up because I'm wondering if your organization it, it gets involved or speaks with other organizations, either uh, on a national or, 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 or an international level. We do. Um, so we're actually assisting Earth Day France uh, with their Earth Day activities this year. Um, we do own the, the trademark for Earth Day in France as well. So that's part of the partnership. Um, we're going to be on stage at the Earth Day initiative um uh, it's, it's called a virtual stage event um, on the 18th and 19th. Um, and then we are participating in a virtual, I guess we would call it a trade show uh, with Earth Day Initiative as well with Earth Day representatives from around the world. Wow, that's pretty cool. Now, is that and that's something people can go online to, to see? Yeah, if you visit the Earth Day Initiative site, it's based in New York um, and they are having a virtual festival where you can pick an avatar and dress yourself up, make it look like you and go around and visit different booths. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Wonderful. Kristen, it's been a real pleasure speaking with you. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us on the show and, and tell us about Earth Day and all the stuff that you guys have going on. It sounds great. And we, we thank you for all the great work that you do. And we wish you all the best in the future. And we definitely love to have you back on to talk more about the planet because that's something I think we all need to absolutely start paying more attention to. We have to take care of this place in order for it to take care of us. Thank you so much for having me. You bet. You take care and have a wonderful Earth Day. Happy Earth Day. That's Kristen Mullen. She is the Development Director with Earth Day Canada. It was a pleasure to have her on talking about Earth Day coming up on 
April 22nd. Check it out. Go to their uh, website at earthday.ca to find out what's going on and find out how you can get involved, to find out about suggestions, to find out about events. they got that great event uh, concert coming up on the 22nd, so check it out. And that is this part of the program. Now, stay tuned. Don't go away because we're going to be right back with more coming up right after the break. Now back to Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM. Well, welcome back to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. And, of course, you can also listen on the iHeartRadio app. Download the app and uh, type in our coordinates and then listen anywhere you want. Just uh, take us with you anywhere you go. And it's a pleasure to have you, our listeners, with us. And if you're listening on another radio station that now carries Moment of Truth, we welcome you as well as anyone listening on their favorite podcast platform. I'd like to welcome to the show, for this part of our program, Kristen Crandall. She is a joint PhD candidate at McGill University and at the University of Ottawa. And her research focuses on the influence of abiotic and biotic factors on the pathogens, vectors, and vertebrate hosts of the tick-borne disease system in Canada. Oh, yes, we're going to be talking about ticks today, folks, because Kristen has actually authored a, uh, a an article in The Conversation, and it is called Fact or Fiction, Debunking Four Common Myths About Ticks. We are into spring, and as I found out from reading the article, things are changing about ticks. And so I think it's a very timely article that she wrote to discuss these things. And also because, you know, it's also coming up to Earth Day. There may be people out there walking around uh, trying to clean up and we should be protecting ourselves and know about what to look for. And hopefully uh, Kristen can help us with some of those things. So it's a pleasure to welcome Kristen to the show. Kristen, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. You have a fascinating, I guess, interesting line of work. <laughs> uh, yes, it's a, it's a very interesting field to work in. Um, not many people know sort of the different things about it. They mm-hmm. hear about ticks, but they don't understand how many details you need to actually know about mm. ticks uh, to be in this field. And, and ticks are kind of that also subject that are kind of make your skin crawl a little bit, right? It's kind of a creepy kind of a, a topic, right? Because they're, there's some, they're, because of these myths, because of the things we're going to be talking about, and because we know that they can also carry diseases. Yeah, there's a very fine line between uh, being informative and being scary. So we always try to make sure it's very informative and that ticks aren't to be, uh, we're not supposed to be scared of them. We're just supposed to be very aware of where they're located. Mm. And that's the other thing that I thought was interesting about your article is because they're on the move. Climate change, that's another thing that's big these days. So coming up with uh, Earth Day and spring and summer, now we have the changing environment that is allowing ticks to, I guess, flourish and at least move further north. We're finding more of them, as you point out in your article, that they're they're expanding their, their footprint. Yes, it's, uh, this is a really big issue in Canada, actually, and it's, it's why um, my research is focusing on how climate change is affecting both the ticks and the mammals and birds that mm. are spreading them about. Um, 
it's it's actually happening very fast. So mm. uh, this has happened about the past 10 years. There's been a huge expansion on where they've been located. Okay, well, that fits hand in hand with what we've been hearing about in terms of the earth warming and those kind of things and, and how the, it's all changing. Just before we get into that, though, if you don't mind me asking, how did you get into this line of, of interest? Um, I ha- I live uh, near Montreal, mm-hmm. and we have a lot of family friends who actually have been affected by ticks. Either they had a tick bite or they actually had Lyme disease. Mm. And I could see that this was happening very quickly. There were a lot more cases happening, and there wasn't too much that I was reading about it until uh, I started working on a master's project where I was looking at the different mammal hosts for ticks. And I realized, oh boy, this is going to be a really big problem. And I really want to know what is making these ticks move Mm. and how can we sort of be able to track this in a way that can help protect us. Mm. So prior to 10 years ago, where were they primarily, uh, were we finding them, you know, further south, I'm guessing, right? Um, So the actual first ticks that were found in Canada were found around the 1990s in southern Ontario. It was only about 10 years ago that we've really seen them in most of southern Canada, Uh, including the Atlantic provinces, now in the prairies. But before that, it was a really big issue in the United States, uh, more specifically the northeastern United States, which is why now with the climate warming, uh, everything is moving northward, so it's moving into Canada. And what is it about the northeast that ticks like to gravitate to? Um, I have the feeling for especially the black-legged tick is the tick we hear most about. And that's that's the main one that's found in that northeastern area. And uh, we have a lot of forested area hmm. in, in the northeastern United States, also in southern Canada. And this is where most of those vertebrate hosts, so that means a bird or a mammal, are going to be located. And so that's why they're really thriving in those areas. Now, as you mentioned, the, the black tick is one of the, the, the kinds of ticks, but there's a variety of them. Yes, we have a rather wide variety um, in, in Canada. Uh, we have the black-legged tick. We have the dog tick, which is also very prominent um, in Ontario and in the prairies. Uh, we have a few other smaller uh not as common species, so the bird tick or the rabbit tick, but they are found in Canada. Now, when you say the bird tick or the rabbit tick or the dog tick, it sounds like they are ticks that specifically go after those particular mammals. Is is that accurate? Usually we find them on those particular mammals. Uh, They're usually, they have a huge preference for those those Mm. hosts, so Mm. they'll prefer to feed on a bird, a rabbit, or a dog. Yet, if they're really stuck and they need to feed on something, they will move to another host if they need. Mm. So, for example, I found in my uh, studies, I found a bird tick that was actually on a vole, uh, which is a small mammal, instead of on a bird. Hmm. And and how do ticks get around? I know that, that one of the things you debunk is that they can't jump. And and I heard, do they have eyes or do they not have eyes? 
So uh, it depends on the species of tick. So、mm. the black-legged tick、uh, that we hear a lot about does not have any eyes. However, the、uh, dog ticks and some of the and rabbit ticks they do have eyes, but they're not very functional. So they're present, but they're not going to be using those eyes to find a host. And so, as they're spreading, and now as you you know, they use I heard they use mice as you pointed in your article to to move, and、uh, I you know mice are quite prevalent. So I'm guessing that the the ticks are quite prevalent, and they can then、uh, use the mouse as as a means of transportation, and which will then help them to spread faster. Yes, this is exactly what we're seeing、um, in Quebec and in Ontario. Actually,、uh, as I mentioned in the article, the white-footed mouse—it's basically the main small mammal that's really good at transporting and feeding ticks.、Uh, this mouse is actually moving 15 kilometers north per year,、mm. which is really a very big distance for、It、such、sure、a、is. small animal. It is,、um, and so this is their main transport. They'll. They'll hitchhike a ride、yep. on a deer or a mouse or a raccoon, and they'll end up in a new location. Yeah, yeah, it's、uh, fascinating stuff for sure. How big are are ticks generally? What is their what is their size? Um, so ticks are actually very small.、Uh, people don't realize how small they can be. So、uh, an adult tick is about the size of a sesame seed. And then there's a、uh, two other stages. So the larva, which are baby ticks, or、uh, the nymph, which is a I call them teenager ticks. And the larva are extremely hard to see. Usually, it's only、uh, people who are studying ticks and who want to see the larva will be able to see them.、Uh, and then those teenager stage are about the size of a poppy seed or the end of a pencil, the lead of a pencil. So it's、mm-hmm. very very small to.、Uh, And they're very hard to see. Those teenagers, man. <laughs> uh, so, so then the other th- the other question is this: How prominent are they? Like, it, 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 let's say in an acre of field or something,、uh, do we have any idea how many ticks might be located in a given area? Um, so usually we'll know how many ticks should be located in an area based on their risk level of that area.、Mm-hmm. So, for example,、um, in my research, I I look at different、uh, risk levels, and in a high risk、uh, zone, it's over about a 500 meter distance. You can find up to 150 to 200 ticks. Whereas if you're in a low risk area, so there's probably going to be zero or only one tick in the same amount of distance.、Mm. Now, temperature is one of those things that people associate with tick activity, and that's one of those things that is changing as we find out. And in fact, I have a small dog, and they they have sent us out information saying this is no longer just a seasonal thing. This is something that you should be aware of all year round, and and have a tick protection for your your pet. Yes, exactly. So、uh, the research has said that usually around four degrees Celsius is when a tick is going to become active.、Uh, 
we say it becomes active because they actually don't die in the winter. They'll just go to sleep. They'll go through this sort of hibernation time where they'll wake back up at those temperatures in the spring. Uh, but we're seeing that as temperatures are warming, this is likely happening at a faster rate, especially in locations where yeah. we're supposed to have longer winters. They're yeah. now becoming shorter. Yeah. Now, the other thing is, of course, because they can't jump and some of them don't have eyes, and I'm guessing most of them are going to be on vegetation close to the ground. Um, so, uh, you know, animals' legs, those kind of things. But how quickly can they transfer off of a, how, you know, how, what's the proximity for one of these ticks to know there's, there's a, a prey nearby, I guess? <laughs> Um, they're actually really, uh, they're very good at this. So ticks actually have um, a sensing organ on the ends of their legs to sense carbon dioxide and to sense heat. So what they're doing is normally they're waving these legs around to sense heat or carbon mm. dioxide from a host or a human walking around in the area. I can say that normally they're relatively quick to jump on to, to start crawling onto something mm. um, once it senses it go, goes by. Wow. All interesting information. Now, we, we promised people we'd talk a little bit about debunking some of the myths around them. Now, one of the things I mentioned is about jumping. They can't jump. But, um, um, and we talked about seasonality, which is another myth that, that we now know and, and is changing. You talked about their popularity in terms of them expanding and, and moving more into the north and that, that they're in greater activity now. What else do we, do we know about ticks or do we think we know about ticks that are, that are myths? Um, one of the things that uh, I also pointed out in the article is that a lot of people think that if a tick is biting you, you're automatically going to become sick. Mm. Uh, and this is not necessarily the case. So only about 30% of ticks are actually infected with uh, the bacteria that can give us Lyme disease. So there's that 60% of cases where the tick is actually not infected. Um, and so Lyme disease is the most common disease, but there's also some other less common ones that it could actually be infected with. So there's a lot of variety regarding how infective they are and whether it'll spread to humans. But there's a lot of uh, sort of leeway regarding that. Mm. If, if you are bitten or if, if a tick bites, let's say it gets on your, your pet yeah, and you find it. Um, and as you say, they're quite small, so you have to look quite carefully. Can it bite again? Does it die? Does it live? What does it do? I guess it lays eggs or something. Okay, so yes, what normally happens is if a tick is starting to bite your animal and you remove the tick, uh, and let's say uh, you remove it when you're, you've been out hiking and you remove it and put it down, sometimes that tick will go and try to find another host, but usually that's a lot of work for them. So normally they'll just die. Mm. Um, they're, they're usually trying to attempt to feed on one host with each of those different life stages and that's it. So if all the energy they put in doesn't work out, normally they'll just die afterwards. All right. And then, and how do they, how do they, 
procreate? How do they? Um, so what happens is normally in the fall, and this is where white-tailed deers are very important, is mm. that they provide a really great space for ticks to reproduce. Mm. So normally what will happen is uh, the ticks will climb onto a deer. Uh, deer can house a lot of them. Mm. So the male and female uh, adults will try to find each other on their host. Mm. They'll reproduce. Um, and then once the uh, ticks will go into their sleepy period during the winter, the female will then wake up in the spring and lay her eggs. Wow. Okay. Interesting stuff for sure. Very interesting. You're listening to Moment of Truth on Element FM. I'm your host, David Moses. And we are talking with Kristen Crandall. She is a joint PhD candidate at McGill University as well as the University of Ottawa. And she authored an article in the conversation entitled Fact or Fiction, Debunking Four Common Myths About Ticks. And when I saw that article, I thought it would be good to talk about this, especially at this time of the year. It's coming into spring. Earth Day is a couple of days away and people will be outside and people are more active just because it is warm. And that means pets are outside, and we've been hearing a lot about ticks. And is it only uh, one specific kind of tick that that carries the Lyme disease? Um, there's yes, the black-legged tick is the one uh, sort of prevalent tick species that uh, can carry the bacteria for Lyme disease. Mm. And and do you know much about the Lyme disease itself? How dangerous it is? I know that you show some of the symptoms, what to look for if you've been bitten um, in your article, which is great. <laughs> Um, it's actually a pretty debilitating disease, especially if you are not diagnosed uh, sort of early on. Mm. Uh, so a, a lot of people can actually have chronic Lyme disease where their symptoms, although they take antibiotics, they do go on for a longer period of time. Mm. Um, it is a bacteria that causes Lyme disease. So obviously, as the bacteria builds up in your body, it'll cause more and more of these symptoms. Ah, okay. Now, the other thing you point out in the article is, and I, I do remember hearing this about if you are bitten, you have about 24 hours before you actually are susceptible to the Lyme disease. So you can get to the doctor or get some antibiotics, I'm guessing. Yeah, so the common time frame is usually 24 to 48 hours for transmission. I like to always go to the doctor at sort of the 24-hour range. Uh, There was a study that came out relatively recently that said this could happen in less than 16 hours. Mm. So for me, um, if you have a tick attached to you for more than a few hours, uh, I always would consider a visit to the doctor Um, I would also, once the tick is removed, would keep the tick so that if the doctor Mm. is required to test the tick to see what sort of different diseases it has, uh, that's also very highly recommended. Okay. Now, these are sneaky little things, as you point out in your article, because they have a way of debilitating our, our senses so that we don't even know that they're on us or have bitten us. Yes, exactly. So they're actually a very evolved species or uh, critter, Mm. although we don't think that they are. They have so many different uh, components that make up their saliva in order to sort of trick their host into not knowing they're there. Mm. Their livelihood is to feed on their host, so they're going to want to do everything possible in order to not make us notice them. Mm Mm-hmm. And and they live on our blood. That's what they 
they're after, right? Our blood? Exactly. So the only way that a tick is feeding is they're feeding on blood from their host. And that's the only way that they can survive to the next life stage. Wow. Okay. Well, then now, uh, if someone has found a tick on them, uh, the other thing you point out about, which I found really interesting, is is how to remove it. Because there's also these myths about how you can take a, a tick off, um, whether it's just pulling it off yourself. But you actually point out there is only really one way to remove it safely. Yes, exactly. So the one tried and true method is using fine tip tweezers to grasp onto the tick and pull it straight outward. The reason why this method is the best is that you're not irritating the tick as you're removing it from your skin. If the tick becomes irritated, it is more likely to uh, sort of regurgitate its contents into you, mm-hmm. which could include those bacteria and viruses. How, how high might they be? Can they, do they climb trees? Are they at eye level when they're, you know, those kind of things? What does it, does it usually, do they usually stick close to the ground? Yeah, so they're primarily only going to be on very low-lying vegetation. So normally um, little ferns or shrubs mm-hmm. or in the leaf litter. Um, the the adult ticks are only known to go about a foot up, uh, up the length of a plant. Okay. So it's actually not high whatsoever. Think the level of your ankle. Yeah. And so that's where a lot of the time they're going to they're going to crawl onto you around your ankle. But the reason why you might find it, let's say behind your neck or behind your ears is because they've walked all the way up your body to uh, attach there. Yeah. And and how fast moving are they? Are they fairly quick? I would say they're fairly quick. I've had it um, in the past where I did not notice a tick was uh, biting me on my arm until a few hours later. And I know that it wasn't on there. Uh, it, it, it went very quickly from the ground all the way up to that arm area. Um, well, you, you talk about the other, the other things that people think they can, they can do to remove a tick. And you talk about rubbing alcohol and you talk about a lit match and those kind of things. But, but these are, are not as effective and, and are not the safest way, which is to, to use the tweezers. Yeah, exactly. So um, all of those methods, so burning the tick or using, I I sort of generalize it to household products. So uh, most essential oils, petroleum jelly, soap, rubbing alcohol, or even just squeezing it with your fingers. Those are all methods that are going to irritate the tick. Uh, And so when you're irritating the tick, you're more likely to have it uh, spread the bacteria and viruses into you when you're removing it. Right. Now, if you don't mind, I would like you to explain some of the terminology that you've used in your article. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so it can get very wordy um, when you're talking about uh, ticks and diseases Mm. and all these things. Um, So sort of some of the different things that I could be talking about are even the different uh, diseases you can get. They could be very wordy. So there's Lyme disease, mm-hmm. babesiosis, anaplasmosis. They all sound like very big words to mm-hmm. be scared of, but they're just different types of diseases that uh, you can actually get. Um, I said before the different life stages. So there's the larvae, which are the babies, the nymphs, which are the teenagers, and then the adults. Um, and there's also, uh, sort of 
just different things related to where they're located. So sometimes we say a tick is in an emerging site, which mm. means that ticks haven't been around that area for a while, or they're in an endemic site, which means that they've been there for at least a few years. Mm. Okay. Now, what about the lifespan of, of one of these little critter things? So this is going to depend on where you're located geographically. Mm. So in the United States, especially in the southern United States, they have a very quick life cycle because they don't have a winter. So instead of going into that sort of sleepy time or that dormancy, mm. they're going to be just going through their whole life cycle. Whereas in the northeastern United States and in Canada, they have to deal with our winters. So normally the tick life cycle can be two to three years long. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> wow. That, that's considerably longer than I thought you were going to say for sure. Yeah, because what normally happens is uh, in the springtime, uh, the eggs will hatch. So they'll become the larva stage, that baby yeah. stage. Yeah. And if they feed um, in the summertime, they'll then become a nymph. But the nymph won't have enough time to feed, so it'll go into that dormancy. Mm. And then it will have to uh, wake up that next springtime, feed, and become an adult. When it becomes an adult, it'll feed potentially in the fall. But if it doesn't, it'll go to sleep and then feed in the springtime. And if it's a female, it'll lay its eggs. Uh, so the other thing that can now comes to mind is the feeding and how long these things can live without food. They can live a very long time uh, without food. So sometimes when people are using uh, colonies of ticks in the lab, they'll, they won't feed them because they need them to stay as a nymph or as an adult. Um, and they can go months. Uh, so let's say six months to almost up to a year without food. Wow. Well, there's something to be admired about them, isn't there? I mean, they're, they're, they're not pleasant, but there's something to be admired about their resiliency and, and about their adaptation to survive. Exactly. Uh, even what I was saying before, you wouldn't think that they're evolutionarily adapted mm -hmm. with their saliva. Yeah. So we wouldn't think they would put all this energy into sort of going undercover on somebody and not being found. But they're very, very good in surviving in really harsh conditions, especially with the heat of the summer. Mm. And they're very good at trying to stay on a host, even if the host doesn't want them. I can definitely see how th they would be studied for exactly these reasons uh, of, of their adaptability, their strength to survive, their ability to go without food. All of these things uh, are things that, that, that we could learn from this this saliva that they have that it enables them to be undetectable when biting because it, it has this uh, numbing effect or whatever it does. Uh, these are all fascinating things, aren't they? Yeah, it's one of the things that uh, when I read up on ticks uh, in th these different research papers, I really, every so often these papers come up that pushes my limits of what they can do again. Uh, so they found a new component in their saliva that helps them even more uh, to attach to a host or to be undetected. And I'm always very surprised uh, every time. Well, I guess we're lucky they're very small. <laughs> we're lucky, but we're also not lucky yeah. because then it makes it very hard for us to find them yes. on us, which remains one of the biggest issues. Right. Um, 
when when we're trying to make sure there's no ticks on us. Right. And they're, are they hard to kill just in general, like if they're not on you and you find them? Um, they're not too hard to kill. So they're, they're, um, they actually need very, very high uh, humidity in order to survive. Oh. So normally they're only thriving in locations with 90% humidity or higher. So wow. this is why they stay on the ground and right. stay very close to the sure, ground sure. because it's a lot moister there. Yeah. Um, so normally it needs to be very moist. But the minute you take away that humidity, they're just going to dry up yeah. and they're not able to survive. Mm. If it gets way too hot or way too cold, they're not able to survive either. Mm. Okay. Well, the other thing that people can do just as we finish up, Kristen, is is how to protect themselves when they go out. And that is like you, you, know, you mentioned in your article, uh, you wear boots, uh, wear, be fully clothed, long sleeves, and uh, you could even use some kind of repellents as well. Yes, exactly. So these are all uh, sort of preventative tips uh, that I like to use when I'm going out, especially when I know I'm going to a very high risk area. Insect repellents like DEET or in Canada, there's a more natural uh, product called Natrapil that you can use. Mm -hmm. Having long sleeve shirts and pants, making sure that your pants are tucked into your socks and your shirt is tucked into your pants. These provide very limited access points for the ticks to even get on you. And then the one main thing that I really uh, try to make sure everybody is aware of is what's called a full body tick check. And this basically means that you're going to check your body from head to toe to see if a tick is located on you, especially in crevices. So let's say uh, in between on your elbow, behind your knees, behind mm. your ears, <laughs> or in locations where there's hair on your scalp, your hairline, because those are the locations they really like. Wow. Yeah, good information, uh, Kristen. Thank you so much for the article. Thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing the information around your article as we get into these spring and summer months and uh, as we approach, uh, you know, as we mentioned, Earth Day and people will be out there helping to clean up. So uh, good information to have. Thank you so much for, uh, for sharing it with us. Thank you for, so much for having me today. You bet. You take care and we'll talk again soon, perhaps. Yes, please. Okay, take care. Bye-bye. And that is Kristen Crandall. She is a joint PhD candidate at McGill University as well as the University of Ottawa. And she researches on the influence of abiotic and biotic factors on the pathogens and vectors and vertebrate hosts of the tick-borne disease system in Canada. And we were talking to her about her article that she authored in The Conversation that you can find on The Conversation in Canada, Fact or Fiction, Debunking Four Common Myths About Ticks. And that is our show for today. Thank you for listening, and we hope you have a great Earth Day. Remember to get out there and clean up. We'll talk again tomorrow. This has been Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM.